Alright, well good morning everyone. Uh, my name is Caleb Nichols and I am the youth pastor here at Goss Church. Uh, we've been here for about, I think it's about a year now. Uh, my, my wife uh, Jen is in the back with, uh, three of our kids are downstairs, our daughter Becca is in the back there. So we've, we have four kids. Uh, we've been here about a year and um, we're loving it. We're enjoying being at Goss Church and I'm excited to be able to share this morning. Uh, we are in a series that we've titled Back to Basics called Back to Basics, and we think, we think of anything in life, like anything we're going to get good at, the basics are always extremely, extremely important. So I think when I think of myself, I grew up playing a lot of basketball, and I, I love the game of basketball. Um, I used to be decent at basketball. I don't know, I don't know so much anymore, um, but it's, it's one of my favorite sports, and anyone that's played a sport knows that any coach that's like worth their salt will let you know that the basics are extremely important, right? Like you see, you see kids at the park, and I'm, I sound old saying this, but you see kids at the park nowadays like doing all these fancy moves and stuff, and I'm like, just, just do the basics. Just learn the basics. If you want to be a good basketball player, you'll learn to dribble the ball, you'll learn to shoot the ball, you'll learn to pass the ball, you'll learn to play defense, you'll learn to rebound the ball. If you get those basics down in the sport of basketball, you'll be a good basketball player. And I, I even think the same thing is true with our kids. So like I said, we have four kids now, and they're all kind of at the age where they're getting more and more into playing sports. And they're all playing different sports. And the same thing is true with each of them. Like, if, if they have a good coach and knows what they're talking about, they're going to remind them over and over and over again that it's all about the basics, if you're going to be good at any of those sports. And I think the same thing is true in our Christian life. That if we want to mature in our faith and learn more, more what it means to follow Jesus, we're going to have to get good in, at the basics, and that's what we're talking about in this series. And when, when you look at the, um, the actual purpose statement of our church, I have it written down here. It says this. Our purpose statement is very simple. It's that we worship, we grow, and we share. We worship, we grow, and we share. So we worship God, we grow as disciples, and we share Christ with others. And that's, and that's the basics of our faith. We want to get together and worship God. We want to we grow as disciples. We want to grow in our faith, and we want to share our faith with other people. So that's what we've been doing in this series. So Pastor Kevin spent a couple weeks on worship. Last week he talked about growing. I'm going to talk about growing a little bit this morning. And then we're going to be talking about sharing our faith in the next, next couple weeks. And by the way, if you, if you missed Pastor Kevin's sermon last week, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. I, th I think in the year I've been here, that's probably the most powerful sermon I've heard Ke Pastor Kevin preach. So if you didn't get a chance to, to do that, you can get online on the website or go on Facebook I'd highly encourage you to check that message out. Uh, one of my favorite things he said is this from the sermon last week. He's talking about spiritual growth. He said, living in fear is slavery, but living in freedom is hope. Living in fear is slavery, but living in freedom is hope. And I just, I just love that statement, talking about what it means to be free and not under the yoke of the slavery of our sin anymore in the Christian life. So I just encourage you to listen to that. And since Pastor Kevin's not here this morning, I just want to brag on him for a couple minutes. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you guys know this, but the average time, the average like tenure of a senior pastor in North America, so you think of all the churches in North America, the average amount of years that a senior pastor is at a church is about four years. It's actually a little less than four years. So think about all the change that would happen in a church over and over and over if you're trying to like replace a senior pastor every four years. So um, I just think it's amazing. Pastor Kevin's been here. Pastor Kevin and his family have been faithfully serving Goss Church for, I think, about 21 years now. So for 10 years, Kevin was a youth pastor here, and he's been the senior pastor for about 11 years now. 
So just, just an amazing thing, uh, a family that's been faithful and loving this church and loving this community. So I think it's just something to be celebrated. And it's also something that's very, very easy to take for granted, if that's what we've known for a long time. So when you see Pastor Kevin, when you see their family, um, just remind them how much you love them and how thankful you are uh, that, that they're here. So again, in the this, in this series this morning, in the, in the sermon this morning, we're talking about how we grow spiritually. And I just want to say this. Like, I am not preaching this sermon about spiritual growth because I'm some sort of, like, spiritual growth guru or because I think I'm more spiritually mature than other people in this room. I see Jen Hurd shaking her head. Definitely not. <laughs> but but I, don't, I, don't, I don't view myself that way at all. I'm certain there's many people in this room who've walked with God a lot longer than me and are more spiritually mature than me. It's just where we're at in this series, and I'm excited to be sharing this morning. And when, when I look at a church like ours, a church like Goss Memorial Church, my, my guess would be, I don't, I don't know everyone, I don't know everyone's story, but my guess would be many of us grew up in the church, right? Many of us grew up in the church or at least like had some like attachment to the church. Like maybe we, we showed up at a vacation Bible school that a neighbor invited us to or maybe a grandparent invited us to church and we went to Sunday school and things like that. But my guess would be most of us have some church experience like I did. I, I grew up in the church. And when I think about the things I learned about growing in my faith, growing up in the church, and how to do that, there's actually one thing that sticks in my head when I think back about that. And I'm going to put it up on the screen. It's this song. It went, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Read your Bible. I'm not going to sing it because I'm a terrible singer. But read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Has anyone ever heard that song before? Okay, so we got, we got a couple. And when I, I love that song, and I think it's a really good song that, like, teaches children the importance of the Bible and the importance of the prayer, just of a prayer. Just read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. But as I've, as I've like, been in the church longer and been around and met a lot of different, different Christians, I've realized one thing about that song. Like, I love this song. But the reality is, that statement is not always true, I've realized. I've realized that the statement is, if we read our Bibles and we pray every day, we will grow, grow, grow. It's actually not always true. And I want to I share this statement with you. Bible knowledge, regular prayer, and spiritual activity do not always equal spiritual maturity. Bible knowledge, regular prayer... And spiritual activity do not always equal spiritual maturity. Let me just say this first. Like, these are all good things. And I think in most cases, they do help us grow spiritually. But the reality is there are some Christians out there that engage in all of these things. And in some ways, I think they grow further from God. And I want to try and illustrate this, what I believe is true to us this morning, through um, three misconceptions about spiritual maturity through three misconceptions about spiritual maturity. And the first one is this. Number one, the first misconception. Knowing the Bible makes me a mature Christian. The first misconception, knowing the Bible makes me a mature Christian. And of course, I think most of the time, like knowing the Bible is a very good thing. I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not trying to say that. But it's not always true that knowing the Bible makes me a mature Christian. And I want to I use the example of the Pharisees for these three different points this morning. So for this one, I just want to talk a little bit about the scribes and Pharisees that were in Jesus' day. Um, and if you, don't, if you don't really know much about the scribes and Pharisees, just let me give you a little bit of context. 
the scribes uh, that, that lived in Jesus' day, what their job was, was like to literally to write things down or make copies. And they make copies of legal documents and all kinds of different things. But one of the primary things they made copies of was the Old Testament, the Old Testament scriptures that they had in that time. So, of course, back then they didn't have copiers and Xerox machines and printers and all those things. So if we needed, if they wanted more copies of scripture, that was the scribe's job. I don't know if they would use a scroll or something like that, but they would sit down day after day after day and make copies of the Holy Scriptures. So you think about the scribes. They were in the Word of God. The Word of God that they had available to them, they were in it a lot. And then also the Pharisees. When you think of the Pharisees of that day, they were, you could almost compare them in some ways. They're, they're similar to like what a pastor is today. Not exactly, but similar. They were the ones who would teach in the temples. They would, they would teach the Word of God and they would know the Word of God. And it's actually said of some Pharisees that they would memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. So when you think of like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, like I know for most Christians, when we like try and do a reading plan through the Bible, when we hit that book of Leviticus, it's tough, right? It's tough to like get through the book because all the details. And you think about the, the fact that some of the Pharisees would literally memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. It's almost, it's almost mind-blowing. So we have these scribes and these Pharisees in Jesus' day that knew the Old Testament better than probably almost anyone around, right? But if, you, if you've read through the Old Testament recently, you know that the scribes and Pharisees, most of them, not all of them, but most of them were almost like the sworn enemies of Jesus, right? So you have the scribes and Pharisees who know God's word better than most people, right? But they're the enemies of Jesus, and they're always trying to shut down Jesus' ministry. There's a, there's a lot of irony there. And this is an example of Jesus speaking to the scribes and Pharisees. In Matthew 23, 27, and 80, he says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And think of, think of the strong language that Jesus has used to, to the Bible experts of the day. He's like, look, like outside you look great. You look great, but inside I know you're full of dead people's bones. And you are just complete fakes. You're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So the experts in the Bible, most of them in Jesus' day, didn't even recognize Jesus as the Messiah, and they ended up being his very enemies. And if you, if you look at the attitude of the scribes and Pharisees, their, their attitude and their heart posture is all pride, right? Everything they do is for outward appearance. They're spending their time in God's word, they're praying, they're fasting. We see all through the New Testament that they're doing it for outward reasons, and so they look good. To other people. So knowing the Bible doesn't always make us a mature Christian. The second one I want to talk about, the second misconception, is that prayer makes me a mature Christian. The idea that if I pray a lot and I pray all the time, I will automatically become a mature Christian. And again, I'm not saying prayer is bad. I think prayer is a very good thing. But it doesn't always equal spiritual maturity. I want to look at Luke 18, 9 through 14 for 
for this. And this is Jesus telling a parable. He says this. It says this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So catch that first part there. Jesus is talking to a group of people that trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So this is the very definition of being self-righteous. So Jesus is in front of this group of people who are very self-righteous. This is what he said in verse 10, this, this story. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus or prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. Notice how many times he says I. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So again, Jesus is in front of these people that are, that are self-righteous. It's all about how amazing they are and how godly they are and all of the good spiritual things that they do. Right? And, he, and he, he comes up with this parable, this story to tell him. And he shows this comparison between a Pharisee who's a religious leader of the day, kind of like a pastor, right? He shows this comparison with the religious leader and then one of the, low, one of the people that were looked down the most. It was kind of like a scam artist, like it would be a tax collector, someone who tries to steal money from people. That's what tax collectors were. Right? And, he, and he, Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter. The Pharisee is full of pride, and he approaches his communication, his prayer with God from a heart of pure pride. And he's like, look at all the great things I do. Thank you so much, God, that I'm not like these other evil people. But the tax collector recognized his brokenness and his sin. And because of that, the Bible says he went away <coughs> justified. So prayer doesn't always equal maturity in the Christian faith. The third one is this. Spiritual activity makes me a mature Christian. The third misconception is that spiritual activity makes me a mature Christian. So things like going to church, serving in the church, serving in the community, sharing our faith, going on mission trips, going to church events, things like that, right? Those are good things. We all agree those are good things, right? But they don't always equal spiritual maturity. Just listen to what Jesus said, again, about the scribes and Pharisees and their spiritual activity. Matthew 23, 13 to 15. He said, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He said, he said that to them a lot. Jesus used those words for scribes and Pharisees over and over and over in the New Testament. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of God in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. That's like a new believer, basically. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Those are some rough words. 
that Jesus had for the scribes and Pharisees. He's calling them hypocrites. And he's saying, look, you're, you're the teachers of the law and the ones that are supposed to be protecting God's word. And you're actually keeping people from heaven. You're shutting the door in their face. And by the way, you aren't entering either, is what he says. And then he even talks about this. He said, you travel across sea and land. So that's the idea of a missions trip, a long mission trip across sea and land. You travel across sea and land to try and convert one person. And then when you do, they end up being twice as bad as they were. So spiritual activity doesn't always equal spiritual maturity. It's a good thing, but it doesn't always equal spiritual maturity. And I said this earlier in the message. I said Bible knowledge, regular prayer, and spiritual activity do not always equal spiritual maturity. We all would agree that they're good things that can help us. And I think that I think that might like bring us to the question of like, well then, well then what is spiritual maturity? If it's not knowing the Bible, if it's not praying all the time, if it's not doing all these spiritual things, like what is it? What is spiritual maturity? And I, I just want to go to a couple different places in the Bible to look at that and try and answer that question for us. So the first one I think of is, is simply the fruits of the Spirit. So if you've been around church for a while, this is probably a familiar passage to you. It's in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. And it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And I think when we look at ourselves as followers of Jesus, as Christians, like, like verses like this can be very helpful for self-evaluation. You know, we say, you know, am I, am I growing in my faith? Like, am I a spiritually mature person? And right here we have the fruit of the Spirit, or the evidence of the Spirit is these things. Love. So, like, do I love the people around me? Am I, and am I growing in that? Am I growing in my love for other people? Am I joyful? Am I a, am I a joyful person to be around? Because that's, that's what the Bible says comes from the Spirit. Do I, do I live at peace? Am I a peacemaker? Am I patient? Am I a follower of Jesus that people would describe me as a patient person? Because that's evidence of the Spirit living in me. And then even, I think of this one, this one, kindness. Am I kind? You know, I've, I've, been, to, I've been around a lot of churches and met a lot of Christians, and it, it always astounds me, and I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm guilty of this too, but it always kind of astounds me when you meet a believer and they're not even kind. I'm like, what is going on? How can, how can you... Say you follow Jesus and you have the Spirit of God living in you, and we're not even kind to the people around us. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Goodness, faithfulness, am I faithful of the people around me? Gentleness, am I known as a gentle person? Self-control, am I in control of myself? And it says, against these things, there is no law. So I think that's one of the evidences that we're growing in our faith is do we have the fruit of the Spirit exuding from us? Do we see that in our lives? And then also another one, I think, another question we can ask is, am I bearing fruit? So do I have the fruit of the Spirit and am I bearing fruit? And we see this, Jesus talk about this in John 15, 1 through 5. He says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. 
that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Listen to this part. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is saying, look, like this spiritual thing, you're not doing it on your own. You need to be connected to the life source. You need to be connected to me. And when you're connected to me, you will bear fruit. So another self-evaluation for myself and for us is, are we bearing fruit? Are we bearing fruit? So are there people that are hearing about Jesus from me? And that could be our own children. That could be grandchildren. That could be friends, neighbors, relatives, coworkers, people we go to school with. But am, am I a light in those situations? Are people hearing about Jesus from me? Am I helping other Christians grow spiritually? Right? How, how am I doing that? Is that happening? That's the fruit that we will have. What fruit is in my life? Because I think the evidence of spiritual maturity and spiritual growth is the fruit of the Spirit coming out of us? Are we loving? Are we kind? Are we patient? And then also, are we bearing fruit? And I've said a couple times that Bible knowledge, regular prayer, and spiritual activity do not always equal spiritual maturity. So I think the question like you might be asking is, well then how, how in the world do we grow? If you're saying these things don't always equal spiritual maturity, how do we grow? And I would say this, if we want to grow spiritually, we should read our Bible, we should pray every day, and we should get involved in spiritual activity. You see, I think, I think the habits and the things that we do, if we want to be we want to grow in our knowledge and our relationship with Jesus are the same as what like the Pharisees did. But the difference is the heart and the approach behind it. The distinction or the difference is, are we humble? So when we look at the Pharisees, it was all about them and how great and amazing they were, right? But when we look at the tax collector, he was humble in heart, right? So the question is, Are we humble? The difference is if we were a proud Christian or a humble Christian. If we approach the Bible, prayer, and spiritual activity with a prideful heart, we will become more prideful. But if we approach them with a humble heart, we will become more like Jesus. I want to say that again. If we approach the Bible, prayer, and spiritual activity with a prideful heart, we will become more prideful, just like we saw with the Pharisees and scribes. But if we approach them with a humble heart, we will become more like Jesus. And that's, that's the goal. That's what we all want to do. And I want to I kind of illustrate this truth a little bit with just a story, a quick story of my mom. Um, <clears throat> so my mom was just, she was an amazing person, but she was a very quiet humble, behind-the-scenes servant. She would have, if she had to stand on a stage like this, she would have been scared to death. She'd have been like, no thanks. I don't want any attention. I don't want any praise. But she just loved, like, serving people behind the scenes. Um, and I, I remember when I was 
When I was probably about middle school age, my mom got diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, and that was just like a massive, you know, like crushing kind of thing for our family. Me and my brother were young, um, so we didn't like fully understand what was going on. And I remember um, her getting surgery and her going through all the treatments through the chemotherapy and losing her hair and being sick all the time and all that stuff and just how hard that trial was for our family. Um, but then she ended up recovering and I remember the doctor like telling us that there was no more cancer found in our body and we were, of course, you know, elated and super excited about that. Um, but about, about 10 years later, I think, when I, was, um, when I was deployed in Iraq, I got the word that my mom's cancer had returned. And um, at that point in my life, I was a, I was a young man, and I, I knew enough about cancer and the type of cancer that she had that if she got it again, the news probably wasn't going to be that good, you know. Um, so the cancer returned. I ended up coming back from deployment, and I remember uh, being there for her struggle, um, about about two-year process where she had more surgeries, chemotherapy, radiation, and all kinds of different treatments. Um, and we ended up, you know, we ended up losing losing her to her battle with cancer, which is, of course, is extremely hard, uh, and just just heartbreaking to lose your mom. Anytime you lose your mom, I think it's I think it's hard. Um, but I'll tell I'll tell you what, God really taught me a lot, like through that time and through that that struggle of watching my mom just like live out her Christian faith through that struggle. And I, I remember during that time, I came across uh, this passage in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. It says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passion. So again, just selfishness. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or just being like an enemy with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Listen to this part. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes. God is like working against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And I remember coming across that passage and my mom was going through this, this uh, struggle with cancer. And I remember, remember reading the part where it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I remember thinking in those, in those moments as a young Christian man, that you know what, I'm... I'm like the proud one in this scenario we see laid out in scripture. Because at that time, I was a young, kind of arrogant Christian jerk, you know, that, that did not care for the lost at all. I, I just didn't care for most people because I had become like arrogant and prideful and puffed up because I had been raised in the church and I, I knew a lot of things. 
But then I saw my mom, and I'm like, wow, she's the humble one. And I remember being at the funeral home and the, the call, the, in the, at the calling hours and people were coming through and talking to us and saying how sorry they were and sharing stories. And I just, <clears throat> I just remember um, just story after story of how my mom like, affected people and how she changed lives. And it wasn't from getting on a stage. It wasn't anything like that. She just simply loved people. She loved people, she cared for people, she accepted people, and through that, she pointed them to Jesus. And that's who she was. And I, I think during those times, God really grabbed them up, hold of my heart and like helped me understand what it means to be a humble servant of God. And when I, when I look back at my life, and, and I'm on my deathbed, I don't know when that'll be, but when I look back, I don't... I don't want to look back and be, and be remembered as like the arrogant, self-centered Christian jerk. You know, I want to be the humble, accepting, loving follower of Jesus that has the heart of Jesus. And in a lot of ways, I learned that from my mom. And I think... Um, I've noticed, I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, but just being around a lot of different Christians at a lot of different places, I've noticed that there tends to be, when Christians get towards the end of their life, there tends to be two different types of Christians. There's the type of Christian that is just self-centered and prideful, and it's all about what they know and what they've done, and they look down on people. They could care less if people were lost and going to hell, right? And those types of people are even hard to be around sometimes. And then you have the other Christians who are joyful and loving and accepting, right? And they just, they're just a joy to be around. And it's like, man, what, what is the difference? Like, what happened? And I, I think in a lot of ways, I think the major difference is one Christian may have lived their life in pride. And they went through all the spiritual activities and checked off all the boxes so they could say that they did all the things the right way. But then you have the other group of Christians who have just been humble, loving servants of God. And when they did all those spiritual activities, it actually bore fruit in their life, and they grew closer to Jesus. So just a simple question from that, like what type of Christian do you want to be? And I just I have three quick takeaways, and then we'll be, uh, we'll be finished. But three different takeaways for three different types of people that might be here this morning. So the first one is this. Uh, you might be here, and you're, and you're like me. You're raised in church. You've been a Christian a long time. That might be kind of the only thing you really know is being a follower of Jesus. And that's great, by the way. That's awesome. But the question I have to try to challenge you a little bit is this. Like, are you approaching the Christian life with a humble heart? Are you approaching the Christian life with a humble heart, probably like you did when you first became a follower of Jesus? Or have you allowed your time in the faith and your knowledge of Scripture and those things to kind of well up in you and make you prideful? Maybe you need to talk to Jesus about that this morning and kind of do business with him. Second group of people, maybe there's some people here that are new to the faith. Maybe you're a new follower of Jesus, or maybe somebody that kind of hasn't been around the church in a while and you're, and you're making your way back in. 
I just have this question for you. Like, are you doing the basics of the faith? Are you jumping into those habits? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you getting involved in spiritual activity? And not, not in a way to check the box and say, look at me. But we read our Bibles to know and understand the heart of God. We don't, we don't read them for Bible trivia. Bible trivia is a blast. It's fun. But we read the Bibles to understand the heart of God. Are you approaching prayer to get to know like your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And then are you engaging in spiritual activity to build others up? And then the third group that might be here this morning, you might be, or listening online, you might be here and you're kind of investigating Jesus. You've heard about Jesus, you know, you know a little bit about the church, maybe you have some Christian friends. I just want to ask you, like, what is holding you back? Like, what is holding you back from following Jesus? And my, my guess would be, my guess would be it's your pride. You know, it's your pride saying, you know what, I don't want to submit the control and direction of my life to Jesus. I would just encourage you, like, think about doing that. Wrestle through that. Jesus loves you. He died for you. And he desperately, desperately, desperately wants to have a relationship with you. And if we can help in any way here at the church, please let us know. You can let me know. You can let one of the elders know. You can let somebody you came with. If you need help, please let us know. We'll do our best we can to listen to you, understand what's happening, and, and try and help you in any way we can.